Second Chronicles chapter 33, verse 1. Stand with me as we read God's word today. Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. 55 years. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord, following the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. He rebuilt the high places his father Hezekiah had demolished. He also erected altars to the Baals and made Asherah poles. He bowed down to all the starry hosts and worshipped them. Listen to this part. He built altars in the temple of the Lord, of which the Lord had said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. In both courts of the temple of the Lord, he built altars to all the starry hosts. He sacrificed his sons in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, practiced sorcery, divination, and witchcraft, and consulted mediums and spiritists. He did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. He took the carved image the carved image he had made and put it in God's temple, of which God had said to David and his son Solomon, in this temple and in Jerusalem, which I've chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, I will put my name forever. I will not again make the feet of the Israelites leave the land I assigned to your forefathers, if only they will be careful to do everything I commanded them concerning all the laws, decrees, and ordinances given through Moses. But Manasseh, led Judah and the people of Jerusalem astray, so that they did more evil than the nations the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. Pray with me. Father, I pray that you would teach us today from this passage and this story of Manasseh as we seek to become godly fathers. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, happy Father's Day. <laughs> what a sweet passage to read for Father's Day. Actually, you won't believe this, it's a wonderful story. If you don't remember the life and the story of Manasseh, it's a great story, but it starts off really, really bad. This makes the prodigal son look like an amateur. I mean, he's just horrible, and uh, it is shocking. The saddest part, I think, other than the fact that he sacrificed his own son to false sons, his own children to false gods, verse 10 says, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. After all that, God tried to speak to them. And I believe that God is trying to speak to our country today. I believe that God is trying to speak to this world today. But so many are not paying any attention to him. I believe that God is speaking to fathers today. Will you listen to him? I love Father's Day. It's like Mother's Day, except without all those presents. <laughs> so today's message is entitled, The Faith of a Father. The Faith of, my, uh, of, of a Father. Now this is my father, in, and this is around 1957, before I was ever born. And it is barely recognizable to me, but that is our backyard back when the house was brand new. And yes, our house was mint green, pastel mint green, because that's how you did it in 57. The house beside us, that's the York's house, that was pastel pink. 
And the house across the street you see is baby blue. And so that's, it was a colorful neighborhood back then. What strikes me about the house is I don't recall ever seeing it looking so good, so clean. The backyard is unrecognizable. There's no garden. There's no fence. There's no, we had a huge playground set, homemade, of course, uh, with a double swing and smaller swings, and that's not been built yet. Now, that uh, table and, and bench seats are still there to this day and will be there till the second coming. Uh, solid concrete. So that was sturdy, and a dad put that in, and there he is sitting on it like the king of the castle. Uh, there was his eight or 900 square foot house, including single car garage, which became my bedroom and my brother's bedrooms as well. So three boys in one single car garage bedroom. But uh, I see he has a brand new uh, fancy grill there um, uh, for grilling. And so he set up back in the 50s, and I know you young people won't believe this, that's what a middle class, nice home looked like. Uh, a car in every driveway and a chicken in every pot, the president had said. That was the goal coming out of the Depression. And so that was a, an average house there. He even has a light on a light pole there. You see that? That's styling. Well, I remember moving out of my parents' house in August of 1982. I was 18. I moved into a dorm at University of North Texas, which was called NTSU at the time, North Texas State. I knew almost nothing, and I made plenty of bad decisions. In my third semester, I couldn't get past college algebra, and I couldn't take it anymore, so I dropped out. Um, I got my old ba job back, and I know I've told you this before, my old job back at Gibson's Discount Center, and back home I went. Luckily, God made clear to me that my future was not there, and I ended up going back to college. Manasseh was the longest serving king in the history of Israel or Judah. Can you believe that? He served longer than any other king. Was it 55 years? He was young and really dumb. Oh, he was really young and really dumb. This is what happens when you make 12-year-old boys king. That's not going to go well. He made terrible decisions. Manasseh led the entire country away from God. So that brings us to if uh, stay loving is point number one. This would be point number two, stay faithful. Stay faithful. I want to share with you, men, that you have an amazing power. And I mean that. Men, you have the power to lead thousands to God or thousands astray. This man, Manasseh, led his entire country to abandon their faith in God. Millions of people led them to follow false gods. Could bring them to God, could bring them away from God. So stay faithful. Now here's the remarkable thing about Manasseh. Does any, can anybody tell me who Manasseh's dad was? It was Hezekiah. Now, this is shocking because Hezekiah was exactly the opposite. In fact, he was the best king they ever had, better than Solomon or David, the Bible says. Did you know that? Look with me in 2 Kings chapter 18, verse 5. 2 Kings 18, 5 says this. <clears throat> 
Hezekiah, his father, Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There, listen to what it says. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah, either before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not cease to follow him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses, and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. Never been a king like him, before him or after him. Wow, what an amazing king. Remember, most of the kings were bad. They were, most of them were evil. In fact, in the Old Testament, among the Jews, there was a total of five good kings and 33 bad kings. Five good ones and 33 bad ones. Hezekiah, David, Solomon, and a couple of others, and that was it. They were all the rest were just evil, bad people. So Hezekiah really stood out. So did Hezekiah's son ever remember what his father taught him as a father? That's my hope. I hope that, first of all, that I've been successful at teaching my children something as they're getting older. And then my hope is they'll remember it. <clears throat> because Manasseh was so young, he was only 12, he actually co-reigned with his dad for 11 years. And so that was 11 years of his dad teaching him every day how to be a leader, how to be a king, how to be godly. 11 years of that. And for a long time after, after Hezekiah died, it certainly seemed like what he had labored to teach his son for so many years was for nothing. All these conversations, all these lessons, all the times they went to worship at the temple together. Well, in the end, it did come back to him. That's the good news. Of course, God had to intervene in order to jog his memory and convict his soul. So he needed a knock on the head, and, and having said that, John, I'm so sorry about the baptism this morning. Um, <clears throat> I forgot to tell him to bend his knees, and his head went right into the side of the baptistry. Now, I'm sure that Hezekiah would like to have done that to his son, maybe needed to. Not that John needed a knock on the head, but, but my goodness. Um, uh, I will, I'm going to tell them all, I promise myself, I'm going to tell them all from now on, bend your knees, bend your knees or you're going to hit your head on the thing. Now, John's pretty tall, in my defense, but are you okay, John? Yeah. Okay. Jack? Uh, Jack, I, I'm sorry, I got the name wrong, too. I should have hit myself on the head, I guess. My goodness. So, um, uh, how did this happen? Well, I want to I show you some good passages. Good news now. Second Chronicles chapter 33. We take up the story in verse 11 says, so the Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. That's not the good part. <laughs> in his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord, his God, his God, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And when he prayed to him, listen to this, the Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. Now, that's the beautiful part of this story. It goes on to tell us that, uh, and I don't have time to read it, that he tore down all of those false idols in the temple, in the temple courts, and all the false idols. He got rid of all that stuff and then lived a life serving the Lord and led the people of Israel and Judah back to the Lord as well. 
But I do note in this passage that it says um, that God did this. So God brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria, took him as prisoner, put a hook in his nose, and bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon, took him into captivity. Now, men, I hope that God has not, does not have to bring you and me to a place that we have a hook in our nose like a barn animal to humble us and bring us back to him. But listen to me, God will do whatever he has to do, both individually and as a nation. God will do it. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, Paul says it this way. He says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. At some point, as he's in captivity in, ba in Babylon with his hook in his nose, Manasseh remembers his dad, remembers the teaching of Hezekiah. He remembers, he knows what to do. Because his dad has taught him so many times, repent before God, confess your sins to him, obey him, follow him, listen to him. And it all became clear now that he was a slave in a foreign country. He remembered and he repented. The third thing I want to share with you this morning is stay home. Stay home. Now, I'm not saying don't leave your house. <laughs> I'm saying don't abandon your home your family, your children. This week, I read a Fox News article written by a man named J.P. Degutz entitled, here's the title of the article, Here's Why People Abandon Church and the, and the Right Way to Fix It. In this article, he notes the startling statistics right now in our nation over the last couple of decades that show that Christianity in the United States is declining. Across the board, in most denominations, it's declining. In a lot of denominations, it's declining even faster than in the Southern Baptist Convention, although we've gone from 6 million, 16 million to, to 13 point something million in that amount of time. And I think I showed you that, those statistics recently. And there is some good news in all of that. But I can tell you this, don't think for a moment that God is not moving in this world because there are countries in this world where the gospel is just exploding. People by the millions are coming to faith in Christ. God is moving and they're excited and they see the power of that movement and miracles take place and lives and families and nations and governments even being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But here... Not so much. I think we need a ring in our nose. And so he's realizing, this author is realizing that our, our, our faith is declining in the United States. And so he looks to see why. And he read some other statistics that caused him to put the two, to, two together and realize, according to his, his theory, why church in the United States is declining. And then he says in the title, and the right way to fix it, he says this, the flight of resident fatherhood from the home over the past 60 years, or according to Kumano's nationwide study on faith and relationships, may offer the best explanation for the collapse of Christianity in the United States over much of the last 40 years. The study concludes that religious non-affiliation is unlikely to stabilize until 25 to 30 years after married fatherhood stabilizes. Now I'll get to that in just a moment. 
This means, he says, evangelists interested in renewal or revival must become effective in fostering healthy, Christ-centered marriages for a revival to take root. This conclusion is drawn from the result of a nationwide survey of 19,000 Sunday church attendees conducted during worship in 112 different evangelical, Protestant, and Catholic congregations in 13 states. Overall, the survey found, listen to this, 80% of all Sunday church attendees in the United States grew up in a continuously married home with both biological parents at a time when this is becoming increasingly rare. So when the home was stable, mom and dad were there, and every child had a father and a mother, or most people had a father and a mother living there in the home with them, those children ended up continuing going to church as they grew up and moved away. 80%, he says, of those that go to our churches now, on average, came from a stable home. And you may not have come from a stable home, but many of you did. And those who are not growing up in stable homes with a mother and a father there, as a result, many of them are just not going to church anywhere. Now here's what brought him to this realization. He says there's a, a, a 25 to 30 year backlog or, or, or time frame. That is, it took, as the home began to destabilize, it took 25 to 30 years for us to come to this place now. And to fix the problem, it will take 25 to 30 years to fix it, at minimum. Because something has to happen in our homes, moms and dads, in order for our country to be able to come back to God. It starts in the home. The problem started in the home. The solution starts in the home as well. You know that Job is remembered for the incredible tragedies that happened in his life. Wow, I'm not going to go through that. That's depressing too. Uh, what a difficult life he had. But a lot of people don't remember in chapter 1, before the tragedy hit, that Job was an amazing dad. Listen to what he did. This is in chapter 1, verse 4. Job chapter 1, verse 4. Listen to this. His sons used to take turns holding feasts in their home so they would invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. When a period of feasting had run its course, Job would, uh, would send and have them purified. Early in the morning, he would sacrifice a burnt offering for each of them, each of his kids, thinking, perhaps my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular custom. Now, his kids were getting together and they were having feasts in their homes. They were wealthy. They had a lot to feast over. They had a lot to celebrate. And they drank. Uh, they ate and drank. And when it says they drank, they didn't drink water. They didn't drink Diet Sprite because they didn't have Diet Sprite. They drank wine. That's what everybody in that day and age drank. Now, it doesn't say that they partied or they were immoral. It doesn't say that they got drunk all the time. But this was Job's concern just in case... Just in case one of my kids had a little too much to drink and he said something he wasn't supposed to say or she did something she wasn't supposed to do, he would go and offer sacrifices for them in their behalf as a regular custom for them. Now that's a good dad. 
He's sacrificing offerings to, to help his children in their, their, their walk with God. He doesn't want anything to go between them and their God. And he himself is willing to take a role in that to draw them back to God, just in case they did or said something they weren't supposed to. The National Center for Fathering conducts Father of the Year essay contests in partnership with local schools and sponsoring organizations. Back in 2005, eight contests were held and altogether over 100,000 school children submitted essays on the topic, What My Father Means to Me. Now, some of these are kind of humorous. I'm going to read just a few of them to you because they make a very profound point, and you'll see this in a moment. These are some of the best entries in this contest of what my father means to me. A first grader wrote this, My dad is the best dad ever. I would kiss a pig for him. <laughs> Another first grader said, My dad is a Frito-Lay man. That is an important job because Frito-Lay means chips which is food. That is so important because you cannot live without food. Now, I like that logic. We need food, so we should eat Fritos. Uh, a third grader wrote, the dad in my life isn't really my dad. He's my grandpa, but he's been like a dad to me since before I was born. I hope that as I get older, grandpa will teach me all the stuff he knows about wood and first aid and everything else he knows about. My grandpa isn't my father, but I wouldn't trade him for all the dads in the world. A fourth grader wrote, sometimes as a joke, I'll put my stinky socks in his briefcase so at work the next day he will think of me. <laughs> and they, he said, he's always at the concerts and plays that I'm in. A fifth grader wrote, you know what else my dad does? He braids my hair. I'm the only girl I know whose dad braids her hair. I think that's a perfect dad. He already is the world's greatest dad to me. I just wanted everyone to know that. A sixth grader wrote, one time I had an assembly and I was a soloist and my dad was there on the first row. And after my song, I smiled at my dad and my dad smiled back and started crying. That was the best thing I ever saw. Another, uh, uh, so these are testimonies of children talking about their dads and their dads are there. Except for grandpa, and grandpa is serving as the dad. Went to the concerts, went to the, the, the plays, did the things that a dad is supposed to do with their children. Toward the end of his life, my father developed Alzheimer's disease, and we lost him bit by bit, a little more every day. Until by the time he died here, there was just nothing left. And the more we lost him, the more I remembered what a great dad he had been. Fathers, be there for your kids. One day, they will remember your faithfulness to God and your faithfulness to them. And it will change their lives and can transform this world. Pray with me. Father, we come to you today and we recognize that much of the problems in our society come from moms and dads who are not there for their kids and are not there for their God. But we can be a part of the solution. I am amazed at your mercy in the life of Manasseh. 
as evil as he was, witchcraft, sorcery, sacrificed his own children to false god, gods, put false idols in your temple, and yet still, when he cried out to you for mercy, you forgave him and restored him. Father, we ask that you would restore our country. We recognize that you're going to do that. If you do that, it will happen in the home with us. It's not a politician that will do it. It's not a school teacher that will do it. It's not a mayor that will do it. It's moms and dads. Help us. As you're praying, no one's looking around. Listen to me. This is what Manasseh did after he repented. I told you he tore down all the altars, but he led the country back to God, the entire nation. They saw his humility. They saw the passion that they'd once seen in his father. They saw the godliness that they'd once seen in his father, and they believed and came back to God. I don't care what you've done. It couldn't be worse than what Manasseh done. He sacrificed his own children. Whatever you've done, listen to me, God will forgive you. God will restore you. And God will use you to change this world. You have a power and an influence that this dark world does not know and does not comprehend. Will you come to God today? Maybe you just want to come and kneel and say, God, help me to be a better father. Help me to be a better influence. Help me to be a more godly father. Maybe you want to come and kneel and pray for your husband or your dad. He needs your prayers. It's not an easy job. Maybe you want to come and pray for revival in this country. Maybe you want to come and join with First Baptist Church and say, this is going to be my church home. Or you want to give your life to Christ and become a candidate for baptism. You want to surrender to Him today. If God is leading, this is the hour, now is the time. God is giving you an opportunity. Right here, right now. What will you do? As you pray, would you stand right now? All heads are bowed, all eyes are closed, and as everyone stands right now, this invitation is for you. You come.